Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris. Schmitz. Welcome to it. Wednesdays here. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Schmitty currently, I believe, sitting in the Atlanta airport right now as he's on his way out to Indy. What a day he's had. It's Will Wilson alongside Elijah Herbals. We're filling in for Chris today. Can't wait to have him back in tomorrow as uh, should have a full day of interviews ready to bring for you tomorrow afternoon on the show. But for now, Will and I taking you through Chris uh, was this morning staying at his brother's house in Omaha as he awaited his flight. And when he, he made it out, he got on the plane. I think he's probably can explain the story a little better tomorrow, but apparently they had to disembark the entire plane because of a strange scent in the back, which uh, was unexplained, and they, they were forced to vacate the flight and go through some checks. And Chris has been rerouted down through Atlanta before he goes all the way back up to Indianapolis. So he's going to be there eventually, but... For now, Chris, somewhere, somewhere east of Nebraska. I don't even know where. Yeah, he must have been on the same plane as uh, all the other Iowa media members. Uh, they must have been put in the back, the Iowa media members. So that's probably what the smell <laughs> Took was. Took me a second to get that one. It's out. too bad. It's too bad. Now, now he will be getting to Indianapolis later than he wanted, uh, but the bars are, I'm sure, open till 2, so he'll be fine. I'm just imagining that. Like, you, you get yourself a, a burrito and a beer in the uh, in the airport, and you hop on the flight and you go, oh, man, I'm not going to make it through this flight. So you go hop back in the bathroom. They cancel the whole flight because of you. Like- well, and then that's that's OK, <laughs> because then, you know, you're stuck there for a few hours. But the bars open too at the airport. So, yeah. Well, Chris, uh, hope to hear back from him tomorrow. Maybe as long as he doesn't have any more flight problems that we should be. We should be hearing him from tomorrow. But Chris, again, headed off to Big Ten Media Days. It's Will and Elijah filling in today. 402-466-3776 is how you get connected with the show today. Give us a call. Give us your thoughts because we got a nuke to start off. Get there in a second. Uh, but you can also send us a tweet at Herbal Essences for myself, at Willie on the radio for Will, or at ESPN Lincoln is also a great way to find us. Shoot us a tweet. Shoot us a DM. Whatever you want to do, we'll get around to it. Uh, that's how you get connected with the Hale Varsity Radio show today. we got a fun show coming up as we've got Mike Babcock here in about 15 minutes. Uh, Babbers obviously uh, has seen many a media day in his time, so excited to get some thoughts from him on that. We got uh, Shuey joining us from Wilderness Ridge 440. Shuey's going to be joining us talking about the Open, going to help Will's golf swing maybe just a little bit. Uh, And yours. (laughs) Mine's probably the worst one here. I'm terrible. I am so bad. You admit it. Yeah, I mean... I'm hitting ground balls and pop flies, and I'm not playing baseball. I'm just golfing, and it's like, I mean, it'll go a good 100 yards on the ground. Like, I'll put a charge into that thing. Yeah, but it's, you know, let's go to the range sometime. I could help you out. Okay, it's probably it's probably my grip or something stupid like that. Yeah, it's probably several things. <laughs> it's not just one. It's, all, it's what a golf swing is, man. It's, a, it's like a mental checklist of 15 things. Well, last time I went out and golfed, I had 
immense back pain for the next three days. Do you think you know? Yeah, what, you, what? you probably didn't stretch. No, I didn't stretch. I was at Top Golf. Well, you need to stretch before. Think about it. Think I'm about not, what your I'm body's not at Top doing. Golf to stretch. I'm at Top Golf to hit bombs. Think about. Well, okay, I get it. But yeah, that's how people, uh, you know, the golf careers end early is because they're throwing out their backs. Well, didn't didn't Tiger have serious back problems for a while? Uh, yeah, so big time. Yeah. Big time. He had like uh, three back surgeries. All right, so stretching is is. I really didn't think that golf was a, a sport I needed to stretch. You got to really. stretch. Got to. Okay. Or else you're going to be in pain. Okay. Well, we, we got also got Jacob Bedilla coming up at five oh five in hour two. Uh, Jacob, big Suns fan, going to give our condolences to him and maybe talk a little Husker basketball as well. And then a jock doc coming up later in hour two as well. But what I want to start off with is an absolute nuke that has been dropped by the Houston Chronicle today, as they have reported that Oklahoma and Texas have both reached out to the SEC, seeing the willingness of the SEC to allow Texas and Oklahoma to leave the Big 12 and join. Now, mm. we're, what, 10 years removed from Texas A&M and Missouri jumping ship and going to the SEC. Um, going to get to that in a second, but just right off the bat, Will, I want to ask you, this just, I mean it would be a death blow to the big 12 and it just seems like it, it, i'm not sure it makes sense for either texas or oklahoma mm, you know i could see it for oklahoma and i think we all can more than texas okay texas it doesn't make sense because they already have a ton of leverage down there you know they're already making a ton of money and uh let's be real when you think of the big 12 uh do you think of texas I, I, th- I do. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people will think of Oklahoma, but the Big 12, when they look at themselves, they look at Texas. So it makes sense for Oklahoma. Uh, but for Texas, uh, I'm trying to figure that one out. And it doesn't make sense to Oklahoma to me because they're, what, been Big 12 champions six straight times. We know two years from now, if you just win the Big 12, you got yourself a bid to the college football playoff. Sure. It's so much harder of a path to go win the SEC, and I, I get it. I mean, they have all the at-large bids this year, and maybe it'll raise the stature of Oklahoma, and people say, oh, they're not a joke anymore, and maybe they want more competition during the season so that they can be better prepared for the college football playoff. I mean, they've bowed out in the semifinals the last three times they've been to the college football playoff, and they got murdered by LSU, and there's debate whether they even deserve to be in that college football playoff. But uh, still, maybe maybe they're doing it for a little bit of – added competition but to me it's just like yeah that could be give yourself three years and you're going to have an automatic ticket punch to the college football playoff every single year yeah that's a good point that's a really good point but what's more important uh making the playoff every year and uh not getting into the championship game or money or playing against an alabama you know um all those other great teams rekindling some Big 12 rivalries, uh, you're, you're probably going to make a good amount of money over in the SEC now. I'm not saying you'll make... You think you'll make more than you are in the Big 12 right now, Elijah? Well, a complicating factor here is that these schools, Texas and Oklahoma, have already signed on to the Big 12 agreement that the Big 12 owns their TV rights until 2025, regardless of if they're in the conference or not. So if Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC, yeah. the SEC won't have their media rights. The Big 12 still will. So the Big 12 would still be making... I'm not sure how that would work. I am not in... Who does even... does? Who airs the Big 12? Is it Fox? Is it ESPN? Fox. I think, well, they all do, you know. Uh-huh. Unlike the Big 10, who has exclusive 
you know, rights with the Big Ten network. There's no Big 12 network in which, hey, maybe that's a reason uh, they're wanting to get out of there. Well, there is Longhorn Network. There is Longhorn Network, but that's just for Texas, Ugh, right? In, in Oklahoma's case, that would make sense, right? They want to be seen more uh, around those better teams. Let's be real. People are tuning into CBS to watch those 3 o'clock afternoon games, and those have the most eyes. For Oklahoma, when I look at this, like, sure, whatever. It makes sort of sense to me because you're going to go make that money eventually. But with Texas, is Texas really prepared to go jump ship to a conference where they are going to be a middle-of-the-road team? Well, that's a good question. I mean, in terms of attention, in terms of... I mean, they're, they're, they're still a big brand, don't get me wrong. But whenever they go jump ship to the SEC, are they bigger than Georgia? Are they bigger than Alabama? Mm-mm. No, they're not. Are they bigger than Florida? Mm. I mean, you can make an argument that they're on par with Florida. I just don't see Texas going and dominating the, the media landscape like they do in the Big 12. Even, well, even Oklahoma, they've won the Big 12 for six straight years and every single year. We still ask, is Texas back? Well, think about this, though. We, we talked about Missouri, right? They made the change. How has that worked out for them? Meh. You could say it's been okay. Maybe maybe the SEC can do a straight swap. Maybe they can send Missouri back and take Oklahoma. But I mean, but then also <laughs> Texas A&M, right? It's it's worked out for them. Texas A&M, right? I will argue that going to the SEC has actually worked out better than any of the other teams that were part of that conference realignment ten years ago. So we know Te- it works with Texas A&M. They were able to differentiate them schools from the other schools in Texas by jumping ship to the SEC. Before, whenever they were in the Big Twelve, it was Texas was that that big school Texas, in Texas. Texas, Texas, and then you, below them you had. Baylor, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, all a, a tier below Texas. And now with Texas A&M in the, in the Big 12, or the SEC, excuse me, out of the Big 12, <laughs> they are, they're not a joke anymore. <laughs> they got a way to get away from the Longhorns, and now the Longhorns are <laughs> wanting to come back. And then A&M's like, oh, come on! Which, that, that, Texas A&M can look at that and go, we won. We made the right choice here. They got out of the Big 12 whenever the, the time exactly. for getting out of the Big 12 was right. They jumped ship to the SEC. Um, even so did, by the way, so did Nebraska. They didn't go to the SEC, but we got the hell out of there. But the, the Texas A&M fans, I don't think, want to go back to the Big 12, where there's still a good contingent of Husker fans that want to go back to the Big 12. And th- this news today just tells me I would never go back to the Big 12. It's still a cluster. You've got a great point, man. It, it, you know, People have questioned the move to the Big 10. I, I think this just shows that. Uh, it was the right move because now think about this. Let's say Texas and Oklahoma do move. And by the way, I, I don't know what to take about these reports. I'm, I'm sitting back. I know we're having a radio conversation right now, but. And now. And now. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Rolling through a Wednesday here on Hail Varsity. See what happens. Um, but. If this does happen, what happens to the Big 12, Elijah? I mean, this has got to be the end for the Big 12, right? That's their, their two moneymakers. No one wants to go watch Kansas versus Iowa State on a Saturday afternoon. No. I mean, they could still you could they get, still make it in basketball, I guess, but when football is the moneymaker. You could find some schools to join that would make it, you know, a little more but, interesting. But think back to 10 years ago when Nebraska left, what happened? An exodus. It, it was conference development not just out of the Big 12, but it was everywhere. I mean, a whole conference died. An entire conference died. And that was 10 years ago, so 10 years later, maybe it's like a 10-year cycle. Huh? I mean, uh, friend Bill Dolman, he, he's pretty locked in. He thinks that the, the next wave is going to be coming in 2024 whenever a lot of TV rights deals start expiring. I believe 2024 is the year. We, we can ask him on Friday. I think that sounds right. Um, yeah. But the, the question to me is just, what's the, what's the reason for West Virginia to stay in a conference like the Big 12 if Oklahoma and Texas are gone? I think they jump ship. I mean, but then that conference is maybe theirs. 
Can, can Texas Tech be the face? Who's the face of the Big 12 of Oklahoma and Texas leave? Right now? You know, honestly, what I think? I think it's uh, Iowa State, maybe. And imagine if you had told somebody that 10 years ago. I, that, they, that there's a chance 10 years from now that Iowa State. going to be the face of the Big 12. But am I crazy for saying that? I just don't see it. Baylor, Baylor was okay recently, but Iowa State, like... Recently, they've you know they've been kept it going. I honestly think it would be Iowa State, K K State, but Kansas though for basketball that's that's different. This is football we're talking about, obviously. Um, but you know, basketball is another thing to watch. All these other sports, Big Twelve basketball, I actually really enjoy. Mm-hmm. But with Oklahoma leaving, who has been really good, right, and Texas, who is top of the conference arguably right now in basketball, that hurts that too. Yeah, it, but at, at the end of the day, I'm more trying to figure out why this report dropped now because it it doesn't see as we said earlier it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense for either team. Um, but except it, for money, let's money, be real. money makes sense. Yeah, money yeah. money always talks, but drives everything. What what I'll end this topic on is Oklahoma has not flatly denied it yet. No, they have not flatly denied it. They they have kind of skirted around and said like, oh, uh, like uh, we're focused on the football season right now. And then we've had Texas, who has very much skirted around the issue. They have not given a straight answer yet. Um, <laughs> Bowlesby uh, from the Big Twelve also said something along the lines of, "We're focused on the on the football season right now." So I'm still waiting to hear somebody come out and flatly deny these rumors, which I haven't heard yet. Yeah, I love Stuart Mandel's tweet. Uh, he said, "There's a lot of non-denial denials going on right now." <laughs> Uh, which makes total sense. Also, did you see what uh, Texas A&M AD said about this whole situation? No, it's here. Uh, Ross Bjork uh, on news that Texas and OU could be coming to the SEC. He said, quote, we want to be the only SEC team from the state of Texas, which kind of goes to what you and I were saying, why they got the hell out of there. Yeah. And if Texas did move over, A&M would just be like, what the hell, guys? Come on. <laughs> That's what they'd say. Be depressing. Yeah. For them. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to finish up this segment here by getting into the Cleveland.com 2021 Big Ten poll. I want to get Babber's thoughts on this here next segment. As we have Ohio State being selected unanimously by 34 beat writers uh, and also people who cover the Big Ten as a whole. Uh, 34. The Cleveland put this together, I think, whenever Nebraska joined the Big Ten is whenever they started this poll. I um, mean, it's kind of been the 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 de facto preseason poll that we've been watching and Ohio State was picked uh, not unanimously nearly unanimously as champ of the Big Ten they were picked unanimously as champ of the Big East they got all 34 first place votes can I guess who they picked for second was it uh, Wisconsin was uh, so yes it was yes, Wisconsin yes. so the, the champion of the West uh, 29 first place votes was Wisconsin Iowa received five first place votes as well uh, so if you're checking 28 people have Ohio State beating Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game five people have uh, Ohio State beating Iowa and then a lonely one has Wisconsin beating Ohio State in the Big 12 Big Ten championship game one person huh mm-hmm uh, there you go there's a chance Rounding out the Big Ten West, though, again, Wisconsin number one, Iowa number two. Coming in third, Northwestern. Coming in fourth, Minnesota. Nebraska comes in at number five. Purdue comes in at six, and Illinois comes in at seven. Uh, so when you look at that, five, how does that strike you right off the bat? Well, five. it's it's not last, and uh, well, I'm not surprised, honestly. Uh, there's nothing that media members have seen that says to them that we should be uh, more than that. And I haven't seen anything that says we should be more than fifth either. I, so. I, I get it. I get it. I I'm not. Too. I'm not mad by any means. Do I think Nebraska is better than a fifth place team in the West? 
not to drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I, I think on paper they have the talent to be a better team than, say, a Minnesota or a Northwestern. I agree with that. But I, do, I do believe that. It's a question of pulling it all together, A, and B, th- these media members are sitting at home, and they've been burned by Nebraska the past two years. People saying Nebraska's going to be good this year. Nebraska's going to be better this year. But let's be smart. Let's yeah. be smart. Look at the schedule, Elijah. Do you see more than seven wins on that schedule? Because I don't. Not for sure. Straight oh, up, no, we're no. winning that game. So, I mean, looking at that. When was the last time you were ever able to look at a Nebraska football game on a schedule and say, yep, put, put it in pin, that's a win? 2009. I mean, maybe 2017. There was a, a, that, that decent, I guess 2016, that decent Mike Riley year where they started out the year like 7-0, and 8-0. Even that was a fluke. A little bit. They were winning a lot of those games close. But, like, I, I don't blame the media members by any means here. Fifth seems about right. I think Nebraska's defense is good enough to carry them higher than a fifth-place spot. It's a question of the offense. How much has the offense come along in this offseason? Can the offense tie it all together? So, Nebraska comes in at fifth in the preseason Big Ten Bowl. We, as we saw from Nebraska baseball this year, preseason polls don't mean anything. Agreed. But they are good for setting expectations, and that's what the uh, the beat writers are expecting from Nebraska this year, a fifth-place finish in the Big Ten West. We'll get Mike Babcock's thoughts on that next, and a whole lot more. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the uh, Nebraska Lottery. Hey, Jim, check it out. It's a plane pulling a banner. Oh, cool. Play Lucky for Life from the Nebraska Big Ten Media Day coverage tomorrow and Friday. Make sure to follow ESPN Lincoln on Twitter as we're going to be posting all the interviews. Uh, Schmitty is handling live on the ESPN Lincoln Twitter page. That's where you follow Big Ten Media Days, at least our coverage of Big Ten Media Days. But uh, excited now to welcome in Husker historian Mike Babcock. Uh, and, and Mike's been covering Huskers football for so long uh, that I'm sure media days, like this is just a, another one in, in the list. But what I will say, Mike, is that it just feels like Husker football season is like finally actually like here. It's, it's starting to feel real. We're going to get these interviews, these players going up to, to Indianapolis like this year and, and conducting these interviews. It just feels like, okay, like we, we're here. We've made it. It's almost fall camp time. Uh, is that how you're feeling? Yeah, uh, although I think it never ends, you know, with recruiting and so forth. Um, there's always a lot of discussion going on and and uh, and so forth. But uh, yeah, th- this is you know here's the kickoff, I guess, uh, with media days and and uh, you know it's other, there's a lot of energy there. It's always uh, kind of exciting to see what uh, what this produces. But you guys were talking earlier about Nebraska fifth in the in the division. Um, you think that's uh, accurate? Well, um, I think with the schedule, it's definitely possible, Mike. I, I and, and I don't know. I'm looking at it, and I go five is a bit harsh. But also, whenever you look at the performance of Nebraska over the last two years, uh, yeah, I mean, I could see Nebraska finishing fifth. I I think a fourth or a third place is a little bit more likely. But if Nebraska finishes fifth this year, I think they can still have a successful season. Yeah, you know, and, and that's what I I tell people. I, I think six and six is reasonable, and if they go seven and five uh, overall, I think that's uh, that's a good season. But you know, people look at me like, you know, why are you being so negative? But uh, I, I think I'm just trying to be realistic, you know, in that situation. And so the six and six put them in fifth place in the division. You know, I've I've seen people say, oh, well, you know, they're going to compete for the, the division title. Um, I I would be surprised if that's the case, but um, I've been surprised by a lot of things, uh, and I I just I don't know where the Huskers are at right now. I I know, like you mentioned, I think there's a good defense uh, to look forward to, and and uh, you know 
Adrian Martinez. You know, you've got a quarterback that can be a stellar performer, but uh, and you know, an offensive line. I think the offensive line is going to be pretty good, um, but you've got to have somebody establish a running game. It can't always be the quarterback. And uh, some receivers have to step up, and they're probably going to be transfers. Hey, Mike, Mike, you know, they got Minnesota finish, finishing above us. Are you convinced uh, what they got going on up there? No, you know, I'm not convinced of what they got going on up there. Uh, but, you know, I haven't been convinced of that in some other situations, and the Minnesota has played pretty well. And the game is in Minneapolis. So, um, you know, that's a. You know, I, as I look at it, and. I figure that Nebraska is going to beat Illinois. You know, Illinois has got a new coach. A lot of guys coming back, but a new coach. And then, you know, Nebraska is going to beat uh, uh, Fordham, and Nebraska is going to beat Buffalo, I think. And uh, and I, probably not going to beat Oklahoma. And then, so then you open with Michigan State, uh, the rest of the schedule, and uh, that's, at, at, that's at Michigan State. I think that's a critical game to determine where Nebraska finishes in terms of success in the in the conference conference games but uh you know you've got northwestern michigan um before you play minnesota so uh, maybe nebraska can build some momentum and uh you know maybe i'm going to be uh, wrong about six six but seven and five might be realistic then but minnesota it's up there uh depends on what nebraska does i think in the games leading up to that Mike, do you think we can know how good Nebraska football is going to be in 2021 before they take that trip down to Norman? I mean, Illinois is a, a bit of a wild card because of the new head coach. Uh, Buffalo is a bit of a wild card because Leopold left and went down to, to Kansas. And then Fordham's Fordham. Um, but at the same time, if Nebraska has some convincing wins in those games, do, do you think that's a, a, a sign of, of things to come, uh, despite the fact that we don't really know how good those three teams are? Yeah, you know that's that's it's really tough to say, um, and you know I'm I guess I'm not totally looking past Illinois because of the number of players that are coming back, you know that opted to come back, but but there's always a transition under a new coach, and and so you've you've got to make the adjustment there, and, it, and the same with Buffalo. I mean I I really think Buffalo would have been a much different uh, game, even though it's in Lincoln, if Lance Leipold had stayed. So Buffalo's making a transition to a new new coach as well. And Fordham, you know, that was the, the seven block of granite played in the 30s, so nah, never mind that. But um, I think that game was basically scheduled, um, you know, to get a game early in the season at home, but to get a win. So um, I, I don't think you can really say what it's going to be like until Nebraska goes to Oklahoma. And, and you know, maybe Nebraska will play Oklahoma tough there. Um, and if so, you know, there's reason for optimism. If you win the first three and you play well at Oklahoma, um, there's reason for optimism, I believe. Mike Babcock, Husker historian, uh, author and editor of Hale Varsity Magazine with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Mike, when you look at the East, Ohio State unanimous selection to, to win the Big Ten East this year, and they got 33 out of 34 votes to win the Big Ten as a whole. So do you think there's any good candidates for, for a team that could take down Ohio State this year, either in the East or in the, the Big Ten championship game, or do we think this is going to be another year of uh, Ohio State kind of dominating and having their way in the Big Ten? Well, I kind of expect that to be the case, but, um, you know, Ohio State has lost a lot of a lot of talent, Uh because of the, uh, you know, the, the the NFL talent there and the guys moving on, um, so there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment there. But the, there's a lot of talent 
funneling into the into Ohio State, the Ohio State, and uh, um, so I, I I would be surprised, I guess, if it's not Ohio State. But again, um, college football—that's one of the things that's that's fun about it. Although it's getting to the point, yeah, you know, now where we look at the playoffs and it's you know it's Clemson, it's Alabama, it's Ohio State. It, you know, it seems like it's the same, the usual suspects. But um, uh, I, I still think that there's a possibility. You know, that that you just never know. That's why I play the games, and and uh, and so I'm going to go in with an open mind from that standpoint. We're talking to Mike Babcock. Uh, Mike, the big news that came out just a few hours ago, uh, we have Oklahoma and Texas reportedly uh, contacting the SEC about maybe joining at some point. And, you know, my question to you is, Elijah and I spent the first segment trying to figure out why these teams would be doing this. Can you think of any reasons why? You know, I can't think of any reasons either unless, you know, like somebody pointed out, that they, they would do that if they wanted something. But there's not much they can want in the Big 12. Um, they've got it. They pretty much control it. So um, that perplexed me a little bit. I don't know why you would want to go into the SEC um, when, if you stick in the Big 12, you've got an opportunity to, to win that conference and to get into the playoffs. I think your chances are going to be diminished, obviously, if you go into the SEC. Um, uh, uh, that I, I don't know. I, I don't have a good explanation of why they're why they might be considering that. Um, you know, I look at that and I think, gosh, I was one of the people that said Nebraska made a mistake moving to the Big Ten, but now you get to this point, um, I would not want to be in the Big Twelve with that kind of uh, with that kind of baggage at this point. I think the, I think the Big Ten is much more. Uh, solid uh, conference in the Big 12, obviously. That's a work in progress, and it continues to be, I guess. Mike, when you hear this report, I know we don't know if it's true or not, but if it is, is that a sign that this the Big 12 conference as a whole may be dying? I mean, whenever the, the top two teams in the conference, the, the two big money makers, are, are saying, hey, maybe it's time for us to jump ship, is that a sign that, that the Big 12 may not be around for much longer? Well, you know, what do you got left? I mean, what's your What's your feature team in the in the conference when when those two teams leave? And you know it's like whatever Texas does, Oklahoma's going to do because you know they've got that connection. That was one of the things that uh, when they went to divisions in Nebraska was, you know, when they started the Big Big Twelve, um, Oklahoma and Texas were in the same division. They're going to play every year. You know that was important. Nebraska fans looked at it and said. You know, well, why are we not playing Oklahoma every year? You know, that's that's a big rivalry. But for Oklahoma, it's always been Texas, and anything beyond that, not Oklahoma State, not Nebraska. Uh, whatever Texas does, Oklahoma's going to do. So, um, you know, I don't know who initiated the uh, the thought, but I, you know, if it was if it was Texas, which it probably was, um, then Oklahoma was probably right there. But like you say, why would you go into the SEC and? and diminish your chances of really being a playoff team, I think. Mike, let's say they do leave. Let's say they go to the SEC. Uh, where does that leave the Big 12? I mean, do you think they're better off getting some more teams, or do you think they're better off just dissolving and maybe merging with another conference? I don't know. I, I look at schools and think that uh, if Oklahoma and Texas leave, um, there are going to be other schools that are going to be looking to leave uh, that conference. Uh, because what do you – What's your attraction? You know, football is the one that drives everything. Uh, you got Kansas, great basketball program, but 
um, you just don't have a you don't have a flagship uh, program. You don't have anything. I I don't. I think personally mm-hmm. um, that you know you're going to restructure that thing dramatically. I think you've got to do. I don't know what you do. Um, and yeah, I think there would be teams that would be looking to you know maybe say hey uh, maybe the Big Ten needs a couple more teams. You know maybe. Uh, the Big Ten gets a get, try, a couple of little schools try to get into the Big Ten, um, but I uh, it could be the death knell for that conference. I that's a tough situation without uh, Oklahoma and Texas. Mike, last thought here about a minute left before we got to let you go. Uh, when you're uh, evaluating and watching the Big Ten media days this week, what are you looking forward to, to hearing from the Husker players? I mean, I think we kind of know some of the questions they're going to be getting. So, so which answers do you think are going to be most important and most pertinent to, to the Husker media cycle? Just positive energy. You know, just feel upbeat, which I think you're going to see. I mean, that's the nature of things at this point. You know, but, uh, you know, belief in what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I think you'll see that. And I think that's what you need to see. But they, you'll probably see that from every programmer. You know, at this point, you can be as good as you want to be in your mind, you know, but uh, um, that's before you start playing the games and before you start fall camp. So um, I, I just want to see that positive energy. So what you're saying is don't read too far into any of the uh, the responses this weekend? Well, no. You know, it, it's good to be positive. Uh, you know, you got to believe that you can win before you're going to win. So, you know, that part that part's good, but... Yeah, I think everybody's going to probably have a pretty pretty upbeat attitude about it. You would think so. There he is, Mike Babcock, Husker historian, author, and editor of Hale Varsity Magazine. Uh, Mike, appreciate the time today. Uh, enjoy watching these uh, these Big 12 uh, Media Day press conferences. I know I'm looking forward to it, and uh, have a nice weekend. Uh, same, same to you guys. Yeah, we'll talk next week. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Hale Varsity Wednesday, uh, excuse me, Hale Varsity on a Wednesday. It's Elijah Herbal and Will Wilson filling in for Chris Schmidt uh, as he's on his way out to Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Days. You can find us and follow us on Twitter at Willie on the Radio for Will and at Herbal Essences for myself. Uh, give us a call 402 466 3776 or 1 800 825 5865. That's how you get connected with the show today. And remember, uh, all the interviews, all the uh, uh, content that you missed today is going to be available at espnlincoln.com as well as the Hale Varsity uh, radio podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, you can even ask Alexa to play Hale Varsity radio and she can get that done for you. That's how you get connected uh, with us as well. Um, and will efforting Shuey uh, is that a, is that a thumbs down for today? Yeah, I tw- tried him twice. Uh, maybe he'll call us. I'll shoot him a text if, if he sees that he missed a call. I was looking forward to talking to Shuey. Yeah, I, I mean, I need some help with my golf game, and I also want to talk about uh, Colin Morikawa. I need you guys to talk about this a little bit more on the the morning hookup. So I guess I can defer to your knowledge here. Oh well, uh, Colin's just doing amazing things right now. Well, uh, twenty four years old. And his eight major championships, he's already won two. Yep. So he's two of those. He's twenty. He's twenty five percent right now. He, he's batting two fifty in golf majors. Yeah. More impressively, two of those wins were the first time he played in those tournaments. Not to mention the first time, or excuse me, the second time he's ever played over in Europe 
uh, was at the Open, and he won it. And there's no, you know, there's no duh that those courses are way different than uh, the courses here in America. So it's very impressive. The dude's a natural, and uh, I just think we got to get comfortable watching his name on Sunday. We're do you, do you think he's the future of the game? I mean, we, we you talk a whole bunch about. I mean, the, the golf game right now. You look at the, the top names: Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau. You still got Tiger Woods, but we're not sure if he's ever going to come back to the game of golf. So, is Morikawa now positioned to be the next face of golf, quote unquote? Uh, you could say that, uh, but that's also been said for many other people. Uh, Rory, of yeah. course, but he is kind of the face of golf. You know, when you think at least, of, at least in the, the European circles, of course. You know, here in America, DeChambeau, he did kind of he came up as an amateur. So, you know, maybe some people said that about him. Um, of course, he is the face of golf now. You think about golf, you think about Bryson DeChambeau, uh, which is probably just a good way of himself marketing himself, or maybe it's a, maybe it's just totally unintentional, and him being a brat is what makes him popular. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, Colin, you could, he's definitely looking like uh, he could be around for a few years, but golf is that sport to where the next next Tiger comes out of nowhere. It's It's true. So many people play the sport. Well, is there is there going to be another Tiger, though? Uh, no, probably not, but never say never. I mean, nobody thought ever anybody would break, uh, you know, Arnie and, and Jack and those guys. Tiger did, so it could happen. It could happen. Huh, I mean, but at one point in time, it was it was Tiger against the field on, on, on betting sports books. It was... Oh, don't get me wrong. If the odds... If there were odds, no. I, w- I would put money on nobody ever gets past Tiger. But, like I said, never say never. Right, well, let's uh, let's get back into these uh, these Big Ten poll standings real quick. We'll see if uh, we can get Mike Shuhart tracked down today. Um, but really, when I look at this Nebraska roster as a whole, I mean the the Husker defense has potential to be, I'd say, a top four unit in the Big Ten. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but but when I look at it, the returning experience, JoJo Doman, Cam Taylor Britt, you have uh, both your safeties in Markel Dismuke and Deontay Williams coming back. Uh, I loved what I saw out of uh, Nick Henrich last year. I loved what I saw uh, out of uh, Luke Reimer last season. And, and the defensive line is still young and only improving. Damian Daniels snacks in the middle. You got Ty Robinson, Ben Still, It's a formidable defense as a whole, and I think it's a defense that's good enough to carry Nebraska to a higher spot than number five in the Big Ten West. A- am I wrong? You're right, but you you know Big Ten it's it's gotten to a point to where uh, offense is almost more important. The defense, and I know that's not tr- the traditional thing of saying it, but it's true. I mean, you look at what each team is returning on that side of the ball. Um, I mean, the only team really above Nebraska on that side is Minnesota, and they are bringing Minnesota. They're bringing back uh, looks like ten players on defense. Nebraska is bringing back ten as well. So that's kind of the Nebraska. Minnesota has the most returning. Uh, talent on that side of the ball, which I guess is positive. And I agree, Elijah. If there's one thing that's going to help us win this year, it's the defense. So that's the part I have the most confidence in. But you still got to score the ball, right? I mean, let's be real. The last three seasons, what's been the issue? Yeah, defense has been bad, but we haven't been able to score the ball, Elijah. It's been turnovers. Turnovers have plagued the Husker offense. Last season, it was uh, a lack of having any running back that was able to consistently get, well, get you more than three yards a carry. And throwing the ball downfield. And throwing the ball downfield is one of those issues where I look at, and it's been a problem really since Stanley Morgan left. But Adrian was able yes. to throw the ball down well, down the field well, while he had Stanley Morgan. Once he had a big threat like that, and 
and I don't want to read too far into a spring game, but Omar Manning looked to me like a guy who could be at that level of Stanley Morgan. When I looked at how he was beating, I mean, really good Husker cornerbacks deep. Uh, he was beating them physically. He was out jumping them. I, I'm really high on the, the possibilities of Omar Manning this year. And do I think it's enough to carry Nebraska to number one in the Big Ten West? No, I'm not going to go that far. I think Wisconsin, uh, with what they're returning, Graham Mertz at quarterback. I forget their running back's name, but he's on the uh, the Doak Walker uh, Award watch list this offseason. And, I mean, he obviously gets the Wisconsin running back bias there because what Wisconsin running back isn't going to get enough carries to at least be in consideration for the Doak Walker. Yeah. But but Wisconsin is the, the obvious pick for top of the Big Ten West. And, and I think yeah. really – Wisconsin, aside from the crossover against Ohio State and the Oklahoma game, is the toughest matchup for Nebraska on this roster this year just because of how their team is constructed and how they've really been the Achilles heel for Nebraska going back to the, the Mike Riley era. Yeah, I don't, I don't even want to know uh, the last time Nebraska beat Wisconsin at Camp Randall. I don't even want to know that stat. I agree. That's going to be one of the tougher games. Obviously, Oklahoma is going to be <laughs> just a, a – a junkyard game it's gonna be well it could be very bad let's put it that way um but i agree man i, I don't really know what to say i mean fifth is exactly where i think uh fifth is exactly really listen man what have you seen what have you seen the past three years that tells you we should be you know higher than the middle of the conference what have you seen it's, it's, it's the defense really but not even I wouldn't even say the defense was great last year. It was okay. It was okay, but you're turning ten starters. Who I mean, I'm expecting improvement. I'm expecting improvement from the. Uh, I mean, there's always potential for a, a step back from the defense, but I don't see it with uh, with just the talent and the the six year experience you have on the defense. And if the defense can hold the, their opponents in the Big Ten to twenty points a game, somewhere in that range, twenty to twenty five, I, I think Nebraska should have a potential to be in every that. game they play. We've been saying that the past three years, and we don't end up scoring the ball to where that's not true. We've held people to 20 points, and we end up losing because we can't score. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I look at Northwestern last year. You had every right to win that game if you had a little bit of offense. Uh, Iowa last year, just a little bit more offense. I mean, I think Iowa scored, what, 31 against Nebraska last year? Yeah, it was, it was around there. Which – that's a lot of points for Iowa, but Nebraska was in a position to win that game if you don't turn the ball over. We played them close. I, I really just I don't want to I don't want to be I don't want to be too high in Nebraska, and you you don't know anything right I now. Let's thinking be about that game. That I uh, so ugly, so gross. There were so many turnovers that game. We probably would have won that game if we didn't turn the ball over. Remember that fumble, yeah. Martinez's fumble in mm-hmm. the backfield, man. If you, if you can fix uh, some snaps across the season last year, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll get some thoughts from Scott Frost about the uh, the preseason projections from uh, Big Ten Media Days. Again, Chris Schmidt on the way out to Indianapolis. Will Wilson, Elijah Herbolt filling in. We'll wrap up Hour 1 next on Hale Varsity Radio. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me, try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Elijah Herbal, Will Wilson in for a Wednesday edition, Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. As uh, Schmitty off to Big Ten Media Day. We're going to have some wall-to-wall coverage here on ESPN Lincoln. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but if you follow the ESPN Lincoln Twitter page, you'll be able to catch every single interview Schmitty is conducting out at Big Ten Media Days, even the ones that won't make it on Hale Varsity Radio. They're all going to be on ESPN Lincoln. Uh, find ESPN Lincoln on Twitter. That's how you stay up to date with uh, all things Hale Varsity Radio. 
at Big Ten Media Days. Uh, if you're looking to make a move in 2021, you got to give the real estate professionals at West Blue Realty a call today. They specialize in residential home sales in Lincoln and the surrounding communities, and they'll help make your next move a smooth one. Now, if you're uh, thinking about selling some agricultural land, well, they've experienced selling agricultural land as well. They have an experienced auctioneer and can handle anything from live auctions, sealed bids, and general land listings. Uh, they've sold land all over, and they can sell your land as well. Uh, remember to call Tom Luby or Kelly Hofschneider for more details. You can get Tom 402-540-3768 or Kelly at 402-202-2312. Uh, call them for more details. Remember, it pays to work with West Blue Realty. You can find them down at 1120 K Street, Suite 200 or westbluerealty.com. And remember, when you're making that next move, you got to ask yourself, what can West Blue do for you? So, Will, we have some Husker baseball news that we can get into very briefly here as there was talks. There was talks. Maybe Jackson Hallmark, uh, after going undrafted in this year's draft, could return for a super senior season. Uh, And I guess maybe super, super senior season, because I think he's a year older than me, uh, just based on the uh, the class standings at UNL. I believe believe he was a fifth-year senior this year. You can correct me if I'm wrong there. Um. Yes, actually, he might even had two more years left. Well, because his COVID season, I think, was going to be a senior season. And this was like his his true. Okay. Yeah, that makes th- sense. This turned out to be a senior season, but then I think he had the chance to come back. But we've learned today, Jackson Hallmark has signed as an undrafted free agent with the Houston Astros organization. I know he's a, a Texas kid himself, so uh, I bet he's over the uh, over the moon to be signed with the Houston Astros. Good for Jackson. Uh, and as for the Huskers, maybe, I mean, likely. Three brand new outfielders in this Husker baseball starting lineup next season. Yeah, and which I mean, which is okay. I mean, hey, if there's one thing we've I've learned uh, from Will Bolt so far, he can work that portal, and he can also get some talent in here. And with the season they just had, I don't think it's going to be an issue uh, to be getting players here, especially with NIL. Um, I think compared to other schools, players can really profit here uh, off Nebraska baseball. Uh, than players. Well, so yeah, it's Nebraska baseball has better fan support than any other team in the Big Ten. Right. So I, none, not I, close. It's, it's not going to be that hard to uh, fill those spots. Also, I feel like we just got some kids on this team that can play so many different positions. It's not. It's not going to be an issue. Um, I, I congrats to Hallmark. That's cool. He's uh, following the steps of uh, former Husker Jake Myers. He's also in that organization. He actually uh, is up at AAA uh, in Sugarland. The Sugarland Skeeters mm. is their AAA team. And that's where Jake Myers is at. And he's actually having a pretty good year, by the way. Myers, he's over 10 bombs on the year. So, uh, yeah, good luck to Jackson. You're right. I bet he's jacked to be playing in Texas. Yeah, good for Jackson. Great for Jackson, actually. Uh, happy for him. Um, and as you said, Will Bolt, I mean, when you look at the, the radius around here, when you look at Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, Colorado, like – they're, they're, Nebraska baseball is, with their fan support, the, the premier destination. And uh, I think Nebraska will rebound on his feet. And, and best to Jackson Hallmark as he is off uh, to fulfill his uh, pro baseball dreams. Uh, we're going to have Jacob Padilla talking some pro basketball after the break. His son's falling last night to Giannis and the Bucks. It's Hale Varsity Radio. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. 
Rolling into hour two here on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Elijah Herbel and Will Wilson. In today as Schmitty, somewhere east of Nebraska on his way to Indianapolis, as he's had a couple uh, flights rerouted. But we'll have Schmitty back tomorrow live from Indianapolis, as uh, he's going to be tracking down all the interviews he can get uh, out at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, we have a statement from Oklahoma, this via Brett McMurphy. Uh, Oklahoma statement saying the college athletics landscape is shifting constantly. We don't adre- uh, address every anonymous rumor that obviously uh, referring to the reports that Texas and Oklahoma have been eyeing a move uh, from the Big 12 to the SEC. That's been the big news today. So, Jacob, I want to start off there. What's your reaction to that rumor and what's your reaction to the statement here from Oklahoma? Not denying it, but saying we're not going to address every anonymous rumor that's out there. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a, uh, well, you, you caught us, but we're not actually going to say anything about it kind of deal. Uh, it definitely wasn't a full denial. They came out harder uh, with their statement about the Nebraska game than uh, about this rumor. So that was certainly an interesting statement. Um, I thought we were kind of cooled off on the conference expansion and conference movement and all that for a while, but uh, apparently – they're not happy with what's going on with the Big 12 or or whatever the deal is. Um, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens there on that front. Talking with Jacob Padilla, a writer for Hale Varsity Magazine. Jacob, we'll get into some basketball here in a second, but my takeaway from this statement is it reads a lot like that Nebraska statement whenever they got caught trying to, to reschedule that Oklahoma game, essentially saying, uh, yeah, we, we, we looked into options, uh, as you do, but we're fully committed to playing uh, Oklahoma. That's what I get here is, uh, yeah, well, we, we may have looked into it. The college athletics landscape is changing, but we're not going to address that rumor. Yeah, basically it's like it's not a denial is what it is, but – that's basically don't ask us about it anymore. We're not going to talk about it. Um, so I, I guess just kind of keep an eye out on further reports on, on this front. They're, they're obviously not going to address it until something actually happens. But uh, n- not surprised at all to see that obviously Oklahoma was looking the last round of conference expansion. They were looking elsewhere. Um, Texas, you never know uh, what is going on there. Um, I always want to be kind of the the, the big story. Um, so not, not terribly surprising. Uh, big 12 done pretty well to hang on since the teams left uh, the conference, but um, it's the SEC, SEC is a little different deal. You can find him on Twitter at Jacob Padilla underscore uh, for, uh, for Jacob Padilla, obviously, who we're talking to right now. Jacob, uh, don't hang up on me because I texted you last night before the finals game very specifically. <laughs> I, I didn't want to get you in a bad mood after, uh, after last night, and uh, we, we got you locked in. But now I got to ask you, what's your reaction to game six of the finals last night and, and the finals as a whole as uh, Chris Paul denied his chance as, at a ring by Giannis Adjuscupo and the Bucks? Yeah, I think that the first takeaway just has to be uh, just awe of what Giannis Antetokounmpo did in this series. Uh, I mean, I kind of wrote about a little bit in my uh, column yesterday, my padding the stats for today, um, but just all the he, – he's basically in uh, some of the elite company in the history of the, the game for what he did this series um, and, and this playoffs. Just three 40-point games, obviously closing it out with a 50-14 performance. Uh, there really wasn't anything the Suns could do to stop him, and he was even hitting free throws on top of um, everything else he was getting. So just an all-time performance by one of the best players in the game. And uh, if the Suns had to go down, uh, I, I'm 
I'm okay with it happening like that against just an absolute force of nature that I don't think there was anybody, any team in the league that really could have done much about what he was doing in game six. We're talking to Jacob Padilla. Now, Jacob, I'll admit it, I, I picked the Suns last night. I thought they were going to get it done. I thought, you know, the Bucks not being in that position in a very long time was going to maybe hurt them. But I wasn't thinking that about the Suns, and I maybe should have been, right? I mean, because they got a few guys there that uh, haven't been in the finals before either. Do you think that came into play last night? Definitely. And I think all three of those, they're young uh, kind of the young core there with Devin Booker, DeAndre Ian, and Mikhail Bridges, they just weren't quite ready for the moment. And we've seen Devin Booker step up big time in these playoffs at different stretches and close out games before. So um, it's, not, uh, it's not like he's incapable. It just didn't happen in, in game six. And kind of the same deal with DeAndre Ayton. And so the Suns, I think they learned a lot from this series that they weren't quite ready to pull it off. But kind of just looking back, the frustrating part, was um, there wasn't anything they were going to be able to do about game six and what Giannis himself was doing, but um, that the one they let get away there with all the offensive rebounds, um, it, games three and four, you felt like they could have, they should have won at least one of those games. They had a chance to, to, to win that game four, and they just didn't take care of what they could control with the, the box outs, the, the turnovers, and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the, the part that frustrate is really frustrating to look back on now but this was an incredible run uh they, for those guys never playing in the, the playoffs before to what Devin Booker did what DeAndre Ayton did this year uh in in the postseason just something that they can really learn from and grow off of and I don't think the Suns are going away anytime soon it was good to see Frank the Tank uh, get a few minutes in some buckets last night though <laughs> Yeah, that was probably the uh, the biggest upset of the night is Frank Cape coming in and actually uh, <laughs> help, helping the Suns, keeping them afloat when they absolutely needed it with Aiton and foul trouble. Jacob, last thought here in finals before we get to some Husker basketball, and that's on the other side, Giannis Adjuskumpo. You touched on him briefly, but I just wanted to ask you about his status now uh, among the league's best. I mean, after a couple years of bowing out of the playoffs, uh, some would say blowing it in the uh, in the playoffs after coming in as a number one seed, do you think he's cemented himself as a, a top five or top three player in the NBA now? Oh, I think he was already there. Like Pete, Is he number one now? Pete, I, I mean, that, that's always a kind of ever-changing conversation. Um, but I think people too often, fan, basketball fans, go straight to trying to tear players down. They, they pinpoint one little weakness and then um, kind of discredit everything they've accomplished. Like, Giannis is one of the most unbelievable players, athletes in, in the game. And the kind of the conversation about him not being skilled, like the James Harden shade thrown at him. It was always ridiculous. And, yeah, you can't hit a fadeaway jumper like Kevin Durant, but he, he finds other ways to impact the game at the highest level. Um, so he, he's absolutely – I mean, two-time MVP, uh, defensive player of the year, finals MVP. There, there isn't much left for him to prove at this point outside of just maintaining this level of play. Yeah, I swear he takes two strides from the three-point line. He's already at the rim. But, but Jacob, before we, uh, we let you go, we still have some time here. Don't, don't worry about time. Um, we do have to get some Husker basketball thoughts. As the news of the weekend was Ramel Lloyd Jr. out of California committing to the Huskers. We talked to him on Monday, and he's, uh, he's, he's intriguing in my eyes, uh, especially when you see his stature playing with Amari Bailey and Bronny James and just all, all the, the attention that's on that Sierra Canyon basketball team. Uh, what do you make of this pickup for Fred Hoiberg and the Huskers? It's a good commit. He's a, a really intriguing player, um, 6'6", 
kind of the versatility to, to run the point uh, and defend multiple positions, play off the ball as well. Um, again, go, going out to California, they've had some success there with Wilhelm Breidenbach. They're recruiting some other players out there. Um, and he's a top 100 type of player, uh, four-star recruit. So you add him to uh, Blaze Kata in that 2022 class, and Nebraska's off to a really solid start coming off, <laughs> obviously, uh, uh, a 2021 recruiting class that's the best since uh, they started uh, kind of tracking recruits. So um, I think they're in a good place right now, and if, uh, if, they, continue, if they have some success, if this season kind of goes the way some of these guys – think it can they'll be able to kind of really get on a roll here and uh build off of this and and keep landing uh, recruits like this i was going to say jacob you get you know you got to talk to the team a little bit got to see some coaches uh what was kind of the overall feeling you were uh, getting there yeah it was good just being back in person it was kind of crazy uh yesterday like i've been writing about him for an entire year but yesterday is the first time that i spoke with uh trey mcgowan's and uh that man in person shook Lat's hand for the first time uh, it's kind of bizarre, the, the, the coverage of the last year, everything. Even when you're going to, to games and you're in the same building, you're still doing the, the, the press conferences over Zoom um, and all that kind of stuff. So it was good to kind of see these guys in person, kind of get, get eyes on the newcomers. <laughs> Wilhelm Breidenbach kind of had this story about um, kind of his posture changing and uh, measuring in at six ten and a half now, and he definitely looked taller in person than he did like when I was watching his games on YouTube. Um, so it, it's good. I mean, coverage is so so different when you're actually around the team. You get to kind of interact with the players a little bit more freely. It's just it's on uh, kind of on Zoom. It's just a little bit more controlled, structured. It's kind of harder to to to, to really uh, kind of get a whole lot out of that. Whereas um, kind of in-person conversations, a little bit more free-flowing, can put a, a name with a face and uh, get a lot more out of it. So I'm glad that we're getting back to. Um, kind of normal, and we're going to have a going to talk to uh, another group of players next week. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Talking with Jacob Padilla here on Hale Varsity Radio. You can find him on Twitter at Jacob Padilla underscore. And, and Jacob, we mentioned recruiting. So with with three of the four highest rated Husker basketball recruits ever uh, either committing or signing to play with this program, what do you think a sign of progress for this team is going to be in the 2021-2022 season, uh, aside from what's going on in, in the wins and losses? Like, uh, just from the eye test, from, from the stats, what do you think is a sign of progress saying this Husker basketball team is indeed getting better and getting closer to that, that promised land where they want to be? Well, I mean, the key is going to be the efficiency. Can these guys actually – shoot at the level that uh, Fred Hoiberg's system needs in order to, to have success. Um, they, they've got some guys in here that are um, really uh, kind of noted for their shooting. you got C.J. Wilshire coming in at the transfer. Bryce McGowan's obviously can shoot the ball. Um, you got Kisei Tomonaga who's playing with his Japanese 3x3 team in the Olympics coming up. Um, we'll be coming in. Keon Edwards uh, can shoot the ball. Um, Kobe Webster coming back. So you, you've got some guys that are capable. Now, can you go out and do it and be consistent in the game? Lat Mayen said he wants to lead the Big Ten in three-point percentage. He was at 35% last year, which is fine, but it, it, it's not good enough for a guy that's um, kind of one, one of the designated shooters on the team, and kind of that's where he provides his most value. So um, I, I think that the three-point percentage, um, the, the overall field goal percentage, that's going to be um, – an area where that, that's going to be where we see whether or not this is going to work. Are things going to click? 
do they have enough shooters for free Fred Hoiberg's uh, kind of spaced out uh, free-flowing system to, to be effective enough to win in the Big Ten. We're talking to Jacob Padilla. Also, Jacob, I really like you know what we got going on down low. And you know, looking at the Big Ten with Coburn coming back and a few others, this is a conference that you really got to be big down low. And I'm confident in that, especially with Derek Walker. I think Derek Walker is going to be a problem this year, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good to have him for a full season. Um, he's one of the, the the vocal leaders on this team. He's steady. He's able to. Uh, he's a guy that you can kind of initiate offense through, get him the ball in a high post, and he can hit cutters. He obviously set ball screens and finish in the pick and roll. Um, and then we've got uh, Eduardo Andre, who that man spoke highly of and who the coaches ha- have praised as well, his development um, coming off that, that freshman year where he uh, uh, got COVID right at the start of the year and was out, kind of had to play catch up. Um, and, and then later in the, in the season, he kind of won that backup center job over Ivan Vodrago and uh, finished the season strong. And he's a guy that they're really high on. So you've got him with a six four and a half wings or seven four and a half wingspan, uh, kind of coming off the bench as a rim protector, who um, has added some significant muscle. Um, and he's got a little bit of offensive skill as well. So you got those two. I think uh, you feel really good about that. Plus Mayen and uh, Brighton Bach mixing in there is kind of skilled four or five combo types and. Uh, and then Oleg Kojinets, uh as kind of a project center behind those guys who probably they're kind of hoping to fill into the Andre role from last year where um, kind of slots in there as a third-string guy and then sees what he, uh, what, uh, how he can develop as the season goes on. Jacob, do you think, I mean, when we've talked about Husker football, it's been kind of Scott Frost learning how to adapt his system to the Big Ten, kind of learning and getting better in the Big Ten, just finding the, the right fit uh, to make uh, his offense work in the Big Ten. Do you think there's any of that with Husker basketball? When you look at the type of guys they've been recruiting, I look at Wilhelm Breidenbach, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that guy's name that you just mentioned. Um, that, that's on me. Uh, I don't have a pronunciation guide in front of me, so I'm just not even going to try to butcher it. But do you think that, that Fred is kind of going to a different system he had at Iowa State with you know going a little bit bigger? Not really. Um, I, I don't think it's, – it's just a matter of kind of who are the guys that okay. uh, he can get in the program that he feels uh, are good fits. Fred did have um, a couple of bigger guys at Iowa State. Just kind of – the thing about Fred's years at Iowa State is those teams were very different from year to year. He had, uh, with, with the way they were kind of reloading um, the roster from year to year, they changed. They had different players were in different positions each year, and he kind of structured uh, his system around those. He had, obviously, um, uh, uh, transfer uh, that, that first year that played for the Rockets. I cannot think of his name off the top of my head right now, but kind of the point center type. Um, and then later on he had um, – uh, kind of transfers were um, DeAndre Kane, uh, big physical guard, 6'4". Um, yeah, Jamil McKay as a shot blocking. He's not huge, but kind of a uh, one of the better shot blockers in the league. So he's had a lot of different kind of players fit into his system and play different roles. So I don't know necessarily that he's changing anything. I think he's just trying to get the, enough guys, the, the talent, into the program to where what he's trying to do can hold up against uh, the talent they, they see in the Big Ten. Jacob, last thought, about 10 seconds. Is it NCAA tournament or bust for this Huskers roster this year? Is, is that what they're thinking? I wouldn't say bust. That's definitely their goal. That's their plan right now. Um, all the young guys uh, are talking, said that that's something they talk about. Like they, they came here to make history. 
um, to, to do something nobody's ever done before. They, they believe they have the pieces to do it. Um, I don't know that it's a or, or bust mentality where um, coming off a back-to-back seven-win seasons, like if, if they fall a little bit short and go into the NIT, I don't know that that would be a disaster. Uh, the key this year is just showing that they belong in the Big Ten, that they can compete uh, with the, all the teams in the league and win some of these games. And then we'll kind of let the, uh, the win-loss record fall in, in the postseason. They kind of fall where it may as long as they make those prog- that progress on the court. Jake, appreciate the time today. Yep, no, no problem. Now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Elijah Herbal, Will Wilson here on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. You can find us and follow us on Twitter at Willie on the radio for uh, Will and at Herbal Essences for myself. As uh, We'd be a little remiss here if we didn't get into the NBA Finals. It was an awesome six games, the NBA Finals. It's kind of the, the first time we haven't had a super team in the Finals in a while. Uh, so it was, it was good. Uh, I mean, you could argue that Lakers team last year wasn't a true super team, but I'd still say it was a... Uh, it, was, it feels like the, the last time since those Warriors really started getting good that we haven't had a super team playing in, in the finals. I mean, in the you, finals, you, yeah. You could even argue that the Miami Heat were a super team before that, though. Uh, well, with LeBron? Yeah. Oh, they were. Yeah, no, they were. So this, this might Let's be not what, fool ourselves. The, the first time we haven't had a super team in the finals in 10 years? It's been a while. It's been a while. But like you said, I, I, I don't know if I'd say that Lakers team uh, was a super team last year. I mean... They were stacked, but they definitely didn't play dominant like a super team. So I want to go that far. But yes, as far as two of, you know, vanilla teams, two teams that are very far away from a super team. uh, Yeah, that's what it was. Well, we'll get into a little bit whether we thought these were the uh, the, the, the truly the two best teams in the NBA this season. Injuries played a huge factor in this NBA season, but uh, Bucks get in the win in game six, 105 to 98. And if you're keeping track at home, that means uh, Elijah Herbal won the stake in a beer bet last night, despite the fact that I have already lost the series by a score of four to two. So I'm the Suns and Chris is Milwaukee in this uh, stake in yeah, a beer I'm bet. Yeah, I'm with you. Finals. I lost a round of golf uh, with hooks earlier today. I'm beat down 120 bucks. <laughs> well, he's charging. He's making you pay up. Well, listen, I got to bring him out to Hillcrest, which is where I golf at. But uh, I can't just. Mom said no. You can't. Can't charge it to the account. So it's like I got to. I don't know. We'll see what happens. He's the owner of Slim's Chickens. Yeah, you tell him that. <laughs> you tell him that. I guess a uh, businessman, you always got to have the, the bottom line in mind. But uh, Giannis, incredible performance last night. 50 points, 10 rebounds, 5 blocks for Giannis. I guess technically 13 rebounds for Giannis. I, I just, he's in that 14, 10, and 5, uh, which he is the only player in NBA history to have. 15, 10, and 5, 5 blocks, that is, uh, in an NBA Finals game. So, uh and a company all his own, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And uh, he spoke after the game last night a little bit about what this means to him, his journey from the, uh, the streets of Greece, essentially, all the way up to NBA MVP, now NBA Finals MVP and NBA champion. Here's Giannis. I started playing basketball just to, you know, help my family, you know, um, try to get them out of the struggle. You know, the challenges we were facing when we were kids. Oh, but man, I never thought, you know, I'm going to be 26 years old, you know, uh, with my team playing the NBA finals, just playing. And like, I was just happy just being a part, like, 
you know, not even winning, just being a part of this, of this journey, you know, and, um, but I never thought ever when I'm 26, you know, I'll be sitting in this chair with this right here and this right here. Man, it's been, it's been, uh, we've come a long way. And, and he speaks about coming a long way, and that is an understatement. Uh, I was watching a, a breakdown last night, essentially, of Giannis's journey to the NBA, and he he wasn't like one of those European stars that everybody knew and everybody was drooling over. He wasn't a Kristaps Porzingis. He wasn't a Luka Doncic. Those are the guys that were coming into this league a couple years ago, and they were essentially a can't-miss prospect. Yeah. I mean, there was always the the little bit of bias against uh, European players coming in the NBA and everyone saying, oh, why would you pick him when this guy's available? But Giannis isn't he didn't come from that mold. He wasn't one of those household names that you, you knew before the draft. I knew Kristaps Porzingis before the draft. I knew Luka Doncic before the draft. Before Giannis was picked in the draft, I was like, I don't know who this dude is. Greek freak, cool. He's playing in Greece. I don't, yeah. I don't know who this dude is. And, and then you read his story. And I, actually, I watched a video on his story. And when he was growing up, um, he essentially made the gym his second home. Him and his uh, two brothers, where the gym was somewhere around four and a half, five miles away from their home. So they'd wake up early in the morning and go walk to the gym. And then they'd have first basketball practice in the morning. And then uh, they would sleep, not eat lunch. And they would sleep at the gym. Uh, they had like little workout mats that they'd put down on the basketball floor and they would sleep and wait for their second basketball practice of the day. And uh, then they'd go into work again and they'd come back home and oftentimes not have enough food to feed, you know, the six eight six nine frame that Giannis was whenever he was 14 years old. It's amazing. And the the family had to make a, a real effort just to put enough food on the plate for Giannis because they knew Giannis was their hope. Giannis was the guy who was different than anyone else in Greece. He, he was different just as a whole, different than what we've seen in the NBA before, coming from Greece, being a, yeah. just a, a complete ridiculous athlete, where they had to... Like his parents were taking food off their own plates and giving it to Giannis, not literally, but figuratively, and saying, Giannis, you need to put on weight. You need to get better because you have a future in this and you can be the person that brings our family out of the struggle. Yeah, 100%. It's amazing uh, to see what he did. It's crazy to think that when he came over, uh, you know, the only thing we really knew of him was his name and how, how to pronounce it. We just knew that, oh, here's a guy from Greece. He's got a weird name. I wonder how we pronounce it. <laughs> now everybody knows how to pronounce it because he's he's a he's a he's an icon. He really is. He changed the game. I mean, what but when before him did we see a guy his size take the ball up and dominate that far down low? Now obviously you can't shoot too well from the outside, but he's kind of the first guy I remember being that, you know, 7-foot point guard in the NBA. And then we got Simmons after him and you know, it's kind of continued. Uh, obviously, we've had players kind of before that. You know, you know, Wilt can run. Wilt down down in the day, he could run, but you, you never saw him pick up the ball. You never see him bring the ball up. To me, Giannis kind of started that whole thing, the whole stretch big, and mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. Um, but to me, that's that's amazing. And you look at his what he's won, Elijah. He's won every trophy you could think of. Improved player, defensive player. It's amazing. MVP, MVP, Finals MVP. Now he's got his uh, his ring. It's amazing. And what I'll say about Giannis is it just feels like a dominant force in the NBA that I, I don't think I've seen in my lifetime. Because even, even LeBron in his prime, would there were times when he was coming downhill and he wouldn't score. But with Giannis, it feels like every single time he gets ahead of steam going, he gets going downhill, he's either going to get a bucket or he's going to get fouled and go to the line. Find me somebody who's going to stand in front of that 
and take a charge. DeAndre is the biggest guy on the court. I mean, Van Gundy was ripping him all night because he couldn't keep his shoulders square because he let him go right by. Van Gundy's saying like, open up the chest, get the chest in front of him. That dude is coming down the floor at 30 miles an hour. I'm not getting in front of him. I'm not. That's a wrap. (laughs) That is, I'm in the hospital for a few days. No. And you no know what happens if, if you do get that. in front of him? He's got such long strides and he's so fast that you can't get position on him anyway, and you're, it's going to be a foul on you if you do get in his way. Yeah, he's quick. and <laughs> it, We saw last night that when, when he's doing that, it, it, it's a wrap. It is. I mean, but he's, gotta, he's, he's still got to find something, though, Elijah, because I will stand by this. Uh, the best team did not win the finals last night. Really? Uh, not even the best two teams were in the finals last night. I know what you're thinking. The Suns, yeah, they were good. They beat the Clippers. Yeah, the Clippers didn't have Kawhi Leonard. Uh, well, they did when they you know played them some games, right? Was it or no? First the, two games. Was it first? Was it even that many? Either way, remember back to the Lakers series. Phoenix was down two to one, mm-hmm. and then AD got hurt. You're telling me the Suns would have got out out of that series with AD healthy? Well, the, the 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 injuries plagued the NBA as a whole this year. Uh, you can thank the the shortened off season last year for that. I think, in my opinion, um, but. Come on, the, the, Lakers. The, the, the Lakers team is the one where I go, okay, I don't think uh, that Kawhi Leonard being on that Clippers team, I just think, personally, they had better ball movement without Kawhi okay. Leonard in, in the game. Well, not even those two. I, I think they might have played better, but, I yeah. mean, you look at the, the Nuggets wouldn't have beaten the Suns even with Jamal Murray, I don't think. Um, um, maybe. Maybe. Giannis, I mean, sorry, Jokic played great. Yeah. Add Murray to that, that may be a totally different team. We didn't get to see that this year with, with Jokic's uh, MVP season. Now, hold on, though. Not even those three teams. What about the Warriors? Okay, Warriors, that's, that's yeah, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson changes that. Exactly. That completely. So, you're right. I mean, the injuries, it's it's part of the game, right? Part of the game. Um, but I don't think the two best teams in the NBA were in the finals last night. As, as for the Eastern Conference, the Nets, you think a fully healthy Nets team probably beats that Bucks team? Uh, yes, I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they almost... It was close, right? I mean, KD was, if his foot wasn't an inch longer, you know, Nugget, uh, Nets were in that but, play in the Bucks. But Giannis had his injury troubles in that Nets series as well. When, remember the knee injury where it looked like he tore everything in his knee and he came back? I mean, I think he missed two games. I um, mean, Chris Middleton willed the, uh, the Bucks to the win over the Nets. Yeah, speaking of but, Middleton, he had a great game last night. A, a quiet. I mean, Giannis is going to steal all the headlines, but yeah, Middleton hit that the, the that, most important shot that when it's ninety four ninety, dude, and he stepped back and, and drilled it. That was the most important shot of the night. Didn't it look night. like Kobe? It looked like Kobe. Like that shot, that one shot right there looked like Kobe. That that mid range from the elbow, stepping back, kind of fading away. You're turning your body as you're firing. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So Giannis, um, it's the biggest talking point right now. Where's he at right now as far as best player in the NBA, talent wise? Okay, talent wise, we're talking. Best player to play basketball right now. Where's he at for you? Well, well, let's make a top five. Is LeBron still in your top five? Honestly, I don't have LeBron in my top five. Okay, because I have Kevin Durant. He's number one on my list. Kevin Durant's number one. Um, I don't think we saw a fully healthy Kevin Durant in the playoffs, so... Uh, I can probably get behind you on that one. He's just so versatile with what he can do. I Then I, I probably saw it in Giannis at two. So I have Giannis at three. Who do you have at two? <laughs> this may shock some people. I have Jokic at two. See, I have Giannis two, Jokic three. I think. I think. Okay, you say Jokic, I say Jokic. It's, is it subjective or is it actually Jokic? I'm the Nuggets fan here, so it's Jokic. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll say Jokic. Uh, 
I, yeah, I have Jokic at two, Giannis at three. That's mm. subjective. We we agree on that. We both think they're top three. They're, they're, yeah. they're, I mean, they're they're great in their own respective ways. Giannis is unstoppable, whereas Jokic is the the type of guy where I think you can put him on any roster in the NBA and at least get him a, a top six seed in the uh, in the NBA playoffs. Where I, I'm not sure if you can do that with Giannis. Who do you have at four? At four, I think I got Steph Curry. Okay, I have Steph at five. Mm-hmm. My fourth is. Russell Westbrook. Oh, come on. Come what? on. What do you have now? to say about that? He's washed. He's washed? You're saying just the triple double record's no big deal? Uh, three years ago. Yeah, I'll put Russ in my top five. He still gets triple doubles almost every You're night. You're putting Russell Westbrook over Steph Curry? Yeah, I am. Because no one plays as hard every single night than Russell Westbrook. But, Nobody does. Okay. And by okay, the way, you're okay. only saying this right now because he's in Washington and they suck. Yeah, it's. The Golden State Warriors sucked this year, but Steph still almost willed them to the playoffs. So? And it got him in the MVP talks this year just because he had a terrible roster around him and still almost got the eight seed. Wizards almost made it. Wizards weren't as close as the Warriors. I'll put, different I'll, conference. I'll put Steph Curry number four. Number five, I, it could go to a lot of people. Uh, I still like Kawhi Leonard at number five uh, just because of what he brings on both ends of the Listen, floor. Listen, I love Kawhi. I love him. It's 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 pro- That's a good one. It's either Russell or or Kawhi, but listen, right now I just I think Russell, I, I love I love a player that tries, that goes out and tries every night, and that's that's Russell. Put him on a put him on a contender. Which by the way, see that report today, about Lakers maybe a little mm-hmm. sign and trade action with Russell Westbrook. That, that that one seems likely to me. I know Lakers fans want Chris Paul, um, but Chris Paul's got a forty million dollar player option for this year, and if I'm him, I'm not sure I'm leaving that Suns team. No, no, you're not. You're not. You're, they're only what two pieces away from. Going back, they yeah. just need they just need someone good to back up Aiton, and uh, I don't know, get another shooter on that team because you do J- Crowder can't be shooting nine times. You know who I'd like on that roster? I'd like a guy like Joe Ingles on that Suns roster. Ooh, he ain't leaving Utah. Apparently, he might be available. Um, but that's a topic for another day. We got a jock dot coming up after the break. Doctor Brandon Tavis talking about Cam Akers and his Achilles injury. He's in his thirties. But sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. Back to it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Dr. Brandon Seifert's with us. Dr. Brandon, how are you, man? I'm great, Chris. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good, and we're gearing up for football, headed to Indy. Uh, football season's around the corner. You guys are, are so busy with all the care and treatment you provide, not only for football, but all the fall sports. And, man, I know that uh, it's uh, it's also almost training camp time in the NFL in a team that you've got some upside with, uh, the L.A. Rams, right? You get you get Stafford out there at quarterback, and the way Cam Akers finished the season off, a lot of hope for him and that McVay offense. And brutal news yesterday with Cam Akers uh, tearing his Achilles tendon. He's going to miss the 2021 season. He's a really talented back, but, man, that's that's too bad for him. Dr. Brandon, we, we, we've talked about Achilles injuries it feels like quite a bit for basketball, and I know they happen in football, but specific to the running back position, how damaging is this uh, long term here for Cam? Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, these are tough injuries. Um, 
you know, no matter what position you're in, but you really start thinking about some of the agility, things they have to do, cutting, speed, all those things. An, an explosive athlete, um, such an important part of, you know, the Achilles and what it does for them. And, you know, kind of speaking anatomically, I think most of our, our listeners here will understand you know, what the Achilles is, but just kind of an anatomic review. So if you think about kind of feeling down the backside of your leg, go all the way down to where your heel is. We call that the calcaneus. You'll kind of feel that kind of cord-like structure that hooks onto the back of your heel. That's called the Achilles. That's what we're talking about. Um, and so the injury here obviously is a rupture or a tear in that Achilles. Uh, but, again, a devastating injury for a really explosive athlete. Um, you know, do you get back after these things, after these things and surgery or whether you treat it non-op, you do, uh, but you're different. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see some really nice data on uh, return to play rates at the NFL level with these. Again, it's always hard trying to glean data from the NFL or any of these professional organizations. Uh, they're not great about sharing that information, whether that's a business uh, it's an agent-driven mm-hmm. thing to keep things under wrap or if it's more of a team thing, but it's hard to get info on this. But it'd be interesting to find out, yeah, what's the, what is the level of return? What's the percentage of return for these folks back to the same level or as a starter or do you get back to your all-start level? It'd be interesting to know stats on that, uh, at least at the NFL level. But, yeah, he's uh, definitely got a long road ahead of him and, and a very difficult road you know, getting back to the success that he's had. You know, I look at Akers as, you know, kind of a threat as a safety valve catching the football, but uh, 13 regular season games, 625 yards rushing. I know he, he uh, when, when you look at his rookie campaign, I mean, the guy averaged 112, 113 yards from, from scrimmage, and he really just finished off the season well. I mean, that was such a nice glimpse as to, to what type of run game the Rams could have because we know it, what they've been able to do with their receiving core and you get a new quarterback in Stafford and man I mean the Rams could have been in, in a tough tough division could have been another playoff team so when we talk about recovery and uh, and some of the, uh, the 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 what's next here for Cam Akers you know from your side of things uh, what what's what's his schedule look like not only for observation repair and then, of course, rehab. Yeah, you know, what's interesting, too, about that is that there's been a, I would say, a shift in the orthopedics in terms of, you know, what do we do with the Achilles tendons? Do you, you repair them? So do you surgically repair them, or do you treat them non-operative, let them heal back on your on their own? And there's been a real shift in that. I would say that the studies and the data are now indicating more going down a non-operative pathway, especially in the orthopedic foot and ankle um, literature world, there's definitely a big push to go more towards a non-operative route. Um, again, as you start to stratify that for different populations, high school, college, professional athletes versus, you know, a normal weekend warrior type, how does that play out? And I still think the data is a little bit out on that. You start to get into NFL, collegiate professional athletes, you know, what's the right answer, surgery versus not surgery? I think if you go kind of surgeon opinion on that, most surgeons are most likely going to perform surgery on the NFL collegiate athlete with this injury. So we'll take down the we'll go down the pathway of being the surgery route with him. I would assume that's what they're going to do. Um, you know, surgery is not a, not a long process. Uh, there's some office techniques out there for it. The more kind of minimally invasive techniques are out there, although not super proven yet versus the traditional. Uh, but once you uh, fix them surgically, there's a period of non-weight bearing. You know, non-weight bearing anywhere from four to eight weeks is kind of the general time frame that's pretty variable based on surgeon. Um, and really, you don't start much in the way of physical therapy for these. You kind of get in that same window of four to eight weeks when you start weight-bearing. 
So at that point, you start some gentle stretching, some walking. You know, really, you're not doing any explosive running, jumping type stuff until you're about, you know, typically three or four months down the mm-hmm. road, which would be the pathway he would be on. Uh, total recovery on these, you know, it's a good kind of year getting back. Obviously, by the time he gets to, you know, probably five or six months, he's doing most things. But it's a good kind of year recovery. Um, sometimes even longer in terms of redeveloping all the you know, muscular structure, redeveloping your anatomy in that area, especially along what we call the gastroc and the soleus. Those are the two main muscular structures that make up kind of the calf complex, if you will. Uh, getting those back takes a long time. Uh, sometimes you never do quite regain all of those. Sometimes you have what we call atrophy, which is a kind of loss mm-hmm. of muscle mass in the area. Um, and so that's kind of what his timetable and his course looks like. Uh, you know, definitely be ready for next year. Uh, but in terms of like a rush protocol, getting back for the season, I don't imagine them trying that with him. Well, you lost Malcolm Brown. He's with Miami. Uh, and you have uh, a number of rookies that are going to be in, uh, in camp here shortly for the Rams. And you have that free agent option. I mean, Adrian Peterson is the ageless wonder. You want to talk about surgeries and recovery and a walking billboard for successful surgery and recovery. Uh, AP's there. Le'Veon Bell is uh, looking to bounce back. LaShawn McCoy, Shady's there. Devontae Freeman was wonderful for Atlanta. And really, once he left uh, ATL, didn't really thrive. And then former Ram, Todd Gurley, who been playing on a bum wheel for a long time, but he's not had the mileage the last year and a half or so. So they could go the veteran route. That's where the Rams could go. Last thought here, Dr. Brandon Seifert's with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. Cam Akers and his Achilles injury are topic. Dr. Brandon, when we when we talk about the running back position, the explosiveness, and, and Akers is one of those just uh, acceleration guys. He's a he's a he's just a big old muscle running the football, but he's not stocky. He's more lean, right? He glides. And with him, is his agility side to side going to be affected more so with this Achilles, or is it the north-south running that, that could take the hit? Yeah, probably more on the side-to-side part of it, and that's going to be that part where you really have to plant that foot. Sure. Either. You know, change directions the other way. And I think that's where most of that explosion will come through. Once you kind of get up to that higher end speed, you'll probably be able to clip along pretty well. But I think that kind of side-to-side cutting, quick explosive agility piece of it, I think that's where you'll see the difference, at least initially. No, and, and that's that's to be expected uh, as Cam Akers injured out for 2021 with the, uh, the L.A. Rams. Uh, tough news uh, for a really good running back. Uh, Jonk Donk Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center, and uh, we say hi to Dr. Brandon Seifert. Dr. Brandon, have a great weekend. Have a good time in the LOC Open, and we'll get caught up again. Sounds great, Chris. You take care. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. 
Elijah Herbal back here on a Wednesday. Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery as uh, Will Wilson off to work his other job this evening. Uh, so we got a special guest joining us here in a second. Uh, but right now I want to remind you that nearly 70% of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska are not wearing a seatbelt. If used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury by up to 60%. So your best defense in any crash is to buckle up. It's a message brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Transportation Highway Safety Office. We now are so overjoyed to welcome in uh, with 1011. Uh, he's a producer over there, always covering uh, LFR so well. And from the Lincoln Salt Dogs for our local listeners here on ESPN Lincoln, it's Ryan Swanigan, and he made sure he looked me in the eyes and said, Elijah, I need to get on the air to talk about Texas and <laughs> Oklahoma. I don't, well, I didn't say I needed to. You offered me the <laughs> no, chance no. to come on last time, and I just didn't feel like it at that time. I feel like it today because I'm starting vacation, but I'm still doing Salt Dogs, which is kind of fun, actually. I like that. Yeah, what a vacation coming in and doing a radio show. I know. And and what a day if you're a sports talk host. Uh, anybody in the sports world right now, the Houston Chronicle should be like charging people per tweet. Every time they're referenced in a tweet, they should be charging like five bucks for that. Because they are owed so much today for this report because because of them. Like, Twitter is blowing up about Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of Lincoln and Omaha sports talk radio hosts who are on the road to uh, to Big Ten Media Days who are like, gosh darn it, today was the day to be on air and yeah. I have to drive in a car and have somebody else do this. And now my producer is filling in for me. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like if you're a producer, if you're the guy who's filling in today, you better save this to your resume reel because today is just pure gold. Like I am just scrolling through Twitter and just seeing all these tweets about Oklahoma is is uh, we don't we don't address rumors and like so, come on come on what 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 kind of a response you, is you, that you sure did address rumors whenever Nebraska didn't want to play Oklahoma like this is just you know this is 2010 remember when TCU and Nebraska and all that stuff was going on like 10 11 years ago and now here we are 10 years later it's just like. This is, but this is obviously way bigger. I say it's way bigger because this is Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. Which would make the SEC the most powerful conference in college football and college sports, and it's not close. And that's the thing, too, is like the SEC doesn't need this. They don't. Like, they really don't. And it's just, I almost like there's a part of me, you know, that little internal anti SEC hatred, whatever you want to call it, that's within me that's like, do these guys just like, did they really want to just start this just to have attention back on them because they felt like the pandemic too, took too much attention away? Like, or, or the other question is, do Texas and Oklahoma see the writing on the wall? We talked about this a little in hour one. Is the Big 12 a dying conference? That's another very good point, too. And I, I think about that from time to time. It's like, who in the Big 12 is making noise other than Texas and Oklahoma. Maybe Oklahoma State, you know, Iowa State tries to make a lot of noise. K-State certainly not. I mean, there's there's nothing. Oh, and also, by the way, ACC commissioner, the new ACC commissioner, 
uh, is now demanding that Notre Dame be uh, an ACC football team and not an independent football team anymore. It's going to get wild. Conference realignment is going to get wild. There he is, Ryan Swan. You can hear him tonight on the Salt Dogs for our local listeners. We'll be back tomorrow from Big Ten Meet Days.